corner, slashes one the other way, base hit! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the eighth episode of the Shea Station Podcast, the newest New York Mets podcast brought to you by John Boy Media. I am one of your co-hosts today, Jolly Olive. You might also know me as Jack. You might not know me as either. But joining me today, as always, is my wonderful co-host and currently a single dad, Jerry Blevins, fending for himself because the wife is on vacation. She left you for dead, man. I feel bad. My my wife is uh, at a bachelorette party. And I am fending for myself here. So this is, we're firing away. The kids are running amok with, with our babysitter right now. And so we're good. I'm, I'm just the first time I can breathe. So you got a second of like relaxation after what I assume is a hectic morning. Yeah, no, it's great. I love it. Like mornings are normally my time anyway. Um, so I get up, make the kids breakfast, get everything going, get them like shaken up and riled for the day. And so that's, that's part of my routine. Yeah, that's perfect. Shake them up and rile them and then just send them to the babysitter. That's it. Let's <laughs> send them to the, yeah. So let them, let them take care of themselves. My, my, uh, oldest kid just started preschool. So he's gone for like two days a week, uh, comes back like exhausted. And I'm like, come on, let's play. And he's, he's like, dad, I just need to chill. It was a hard day at work, dad. Okay. I need to <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I need to sit down, crack a beer. Yeah, just let me relax, all right? Nah, he's he's a big Aaron Loop Aaron Loop energy. He wants bush light right after school to just kind of chill. I'm sure that's good for a four-year-old, right? As long as he's striking out lefties, that's all I really ask for. <laughs> that's good. So I thought we would... So for those who listened to last episode, we didn't get to do any of our Q&A questions because the Mets uh, threw up two thumbs down and the world ignited on fire, but then things turned out okay. So we didn't get to do any of our questions. So I thought we could start each episode for uh, the remainder of the season, maybe, since we got so many, uh, with a question from the Q&A post that we made. If you didn't see that Q&A post, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Twitter. We're Shea Station on both platforms. You can find us pretty easily. But uh, I thought we would go with our company men first. That just seemed appropriate. Because Talking Baseball asked a pretty good question for us. They said, without crying, I don't think we're going to cry, unless, you know, you got tears flowing. I mean, I, I am emotional. I am not afraid to show some emotion. <laughs> <laughs> some Wilmer Flores type. I am a sensitive human. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I appreciate that. So without crying, can you guys name your favorite player on each of the other four NL East teams? I thought that was a good one to, you know, get us going. I agree. That's a great, it's a great question. It's kind of uh, the beast of the NL East and... It's tough to pick favorites. I'm sure for you, you know, your your fandom runs deep, deep-seated. Oh, for sure. Um, I played for two of the other teams, and so mine's a little bit different. I, I like baseball players in general, so I don't have general hate for anybody on any particular team. So I'll let you go first. Yeah, I think we'll go team by team, honestly. Perfect. Yeah. Let's start. We'll go in order of the division right now, and we'll start with Atlanta Braves. This one's pretty easy for me, just based on, like, entertainment value and, like, I feel like me and him would get along as people. I love Ronald Cuny Jr. And, I, you know, I wish he would. Like, obviously, him not being around keeps us in the race for sure, but I do wish he was around still. That's great. I mean, he's awesome. So, like, Acuna is an amazing player. He's You're older than him by, like. Don't say that. That's insane. Which is insane. <laughs> I know, man. It's crazy. Uh, having shared a locker room with him. The guy's amazing. Like that. First of all, the the Braves, as much as it may feel like it's not a good thing for a Mets person to say, but he like the Braves team has so many likable people, 
they're so entertaining. There's so many different walks of life. Like it's a really easy team to cheer for uh, a fun clubhouse. But for me, my favorite, I like Ozzy Albies a lot. That was hard for me. There's some really, some guys out in the bullpen, Max Freed. I think Max Freed is like, if I were the best version of myself, I would be Max Freed. Like that's how I feel. Um, but Freddie Freeman, man, I got to give it up. I got to give it up to him. He, he is, I faced him so many times and he's so much better at baseball than I am. Um, I just got to respect the talent. I think he's an underrated defensive first baseman. I think first base is underrated in general because I think, I don't think it gets as much love as being a difficult position. And I think when you're really good at it, it doesn't look like you're that good, but Freddie is an amazing first baseman. He makes everybody around him better. And then he just rakes and he does it and he's entertaining his battles with DeGrom over the years. Like, and every time they have an at bat, it's pure entertainment. So Freddie Freeman's my guy uh, for the Braves. Just want the record to show that uh, Jerry picked out a left-handed bat and a left-handed pitcher, but there's no bias. He's a completely unbiased. <laughs> I'm not denying a bias there. <laughs> I, I almost picked Ozzy because he's, he's a switch hitter. Though. Yeah. Ozzy's switch. You would have got the pass there for sure. So Philadelphia Phillies, this one's also pretty easy for me. I think I might just have locks for each of them, but he, he's not a lifetime Philly or a longtime Philly really by any means, but I love Andrew McCutcheon. He's still like a pirate in my mind. I'll always picture him with the dreads and the pirate and the black and yellow and stuff like that. And I'll root for him wherever he goes. He was a Yankee too, and now he's a Philly, but I still root for him. I'm just happy that he's been healthy, really. He's been playing most of the season. He only had that one IL stint. So Kutch for me, for sure. And uh, the way he got hurt was like so demeaning for such a great player. Like if somebody didn't run something out, so he got put into a, like a rundown, like that was tough. Great player. I love him. Again, I can't root for him as a Philly because I see him as a pirate. Like I, I just can't see him, you know, he's, he's been great. Uh, so for me, it's a tie for the Phillies. I, I got my man, Zach Wheeler, right-handed pitcher. Uh, he's unbelievable. He's a great human being. Uh, I love him as a person. And he's even better as a pitcher. Like, it's a battle. Uh, and he's so calm, cool, and collected on the mound. Just does his work. Doesn't show anybody up. Doesn't show emotion. Just throws 100, like, easy cheese. Uh, and then my the other tie is Harper. Mm, okay, controversial pick. Bryce Harper, first of all, another former teammate. Um, just a great guy. And to watch him. So he went from, like, overhyped and overvalued. And now he's undervalued. I think he's, like an underrated superstar nobody's talking about him anymore the guy didn't even make the all-star game this year he's one of the faces one of the personalities of the game yet nobody talks about him for for this year I don't, I don't know what the deal is but he is now he's underrated and I I appreciate a little, a little bit um plays a solid outfield has an absolute cannon of an arm and just destroys baseballs and so he's a left-handed hitter and I and I love it uh, but Wheeler Wheeler's number one. And then like one B is, is Harper there. I kind of neglected Wheeler there. I feel a little bit bad, but I'm going to stick with my guns. I'm just a big cutch guy. Hey, don't. Yeah. You know? Uh, all right. And then what else? We, how am I forgetting these teams? Washington nationals. Of course I didn't forget sports brain. Uh, mine. I mean, well, the whole team looks different now. So I guess the one guy you got to go with is Juan Soto just cause he's like the best hitter on the planet. Basically. I mean, who else would you go there really? You know? I mean, you got Zimmerman, who's the the face of the franchise, or Steven Strasburg, who's been hurt all year, who's the other face of the franchise. Like for me, so Juan Soto is my answer too. I, I would have gone Trey Turner, um, but he got traded because I just love Trey's style of baseball and his kind of 
creating chaos and he's uber talented. But Juan Soto, man, I think he is the heir apparent to Freddie Freeman's best left-handed hitter in baseball. I think he hits, hits him and he's young and he's going to be good for a long time. I think he's actually younger than me. Is he like 20? I think he's 21. They both are. I think he's older than Acuna, though. Is he really? That's crazy. I think so. Yeah, I think he is older than that. But either way, they're both like 19, 20, 21, 22, somewhere 21. I don't know. But Juan Soto is one of the best pure hitters in the game. He came in like a Nemo, like a polished approach at the plate. Um, I just feel like he's he's going to be a Hall of Famer um, if he stays healthy. He's that good. And to see it and to be that good that early – Mets fans should be excited that they get to see that guy, although they can love to hate him. But but he's pure entertainment. I mean, maybe one day we'll pay him five hundred million. You never know. You never know. <laughs> Who knows? That's my plan. Uh, and then last up, we got the Miami Marlins. We're in kind of a tough spot here because we ha- we technically have a coworker on that team uh, in Miguel Rojas because he's on Chris Rose rotation. He's one of the seven. That's right. There. So yep. I could say him. I'm instead going to say Jazz Chisholm Jr. just because I think he's like one of the coolest players in the league and he's got the sweetest swing I've seen pretty much this year from any rookie. So Jazz is my answer. Nice. I actually picked Miguel Rojas. Okay, good, good. I didn't realize that he was uh, in the Chris Rose rotation. I forgot about that. Not biased at all. It really was. (laughs) I just think he's another one of those underrated players. I think he is – we saw it a little bit and we're going to recap it, but he did – like he took advantage of uh, VR in a base running era where he, he made a play at shortstop, knew, knew Nemo was going to beat out the throw, made a really good fake and turned and, and picked him off at second base. He does all those little things. He is a leader in that clubhouse. He, may, he has clutch at bats. The guy just plays some really good brand of baseball, and he's one of the underrated stars, subtle. I really appreciate what he brings to the table. A 1B for me, though, as a – Personal, one of my 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 best friends is Ross Detweiler. He's a lefty in that bullpen. No bias. We played together. No, complete bias. <laughs> Him and I are really close. Uh, my wife and his wife are close. He has two girls, um, a little bit older than than my my two kids. But you know, we we played together in Washington and and became really close friends. And so I had to give Ross a shout out. Very nice. All right, so lefty lefty stuff there. So we've talked about. Every NL East team, I guess we should talk about everyone but one. And I guess we should talk about the one that we're focused on, which is the Mets, because they played pretty well uh, this past week. If I do say so myself, the Mets got a well-deserved and much-needed sweep of the Marlins. And it was all capped off by this first game that was on August 31st. Things were not looking good for uh, the orange and blue here. Taiwan Walker, you know, he almost got through five here. He kind of had to labor through this start a little bit. He went four and two-thirds innings, uh, allowed seven hits, didn't walk a batter, but allowed three runs and struck out six. There were some tough innings, some easy innings for him. The Marlins put together some really good at-bats in this game against him, some well-disciplined at-bats. It almost makes you forget that they they walked the least in the league, which I could not believe because the way they looked against uh, Taiwan Walker, they looked like veterans for sure. Uh, this was uh, the first game after the thumbs-down debacle, which seems like it's ages ago at this point because it's not news anymore. Uh, but Baez was benched, and he entered the game in the eighth inning as a pinch hitter to, of course, a chorus of boos uh, to the fans that decided to show up and boo uh, the player that they traded a top prospect for. I'll never understand it, but that's what they went with. Uh, the Mets' only run through the first eight innings of the game was a Jonathan VR solo home run, so they entered the ninth inning down 5-1. to one. I had actually uh, went out to go uh, do some uh, some exercise, go play some basketball with some friends. And I turned up my phone 
and I saw that the Mets had uh, four at-bat notifications on my phone because they had put together an insane rally in the ninth, which I missed, which I, of course, regret. Uh, Nimmo got them back in at first with a big two-run home run. He went, he was three for five in this game with uh, two RBIs and another double on top of that, so he had a fantastic game. And then after going down to their last out, two outs, nobody on, down two runs. Dom Smith, Pete Alonso, Javier Baez, and Michael Conforto stringed together four consecutive hits. Uh, Javi was able to race home on the, uh, the game-winning double by Conforto after the ball was mishandled and left by Jorge Alfaro. And the Mets somehow, someway put up five in the ninth and pull out a win out of their magic hat with that rabbit in there. Uh, they went two for nine with runners in scoring position. Both those hits came in the ninth inning, but somehow, some way, they took the first game, and that gave them all the momentum they needed for the, the nightcap of the doubleheader. Yeah, that was a, a huge comeback victory. Um, there were some notes that you made. Uh, Jorge Alfaro, the, the catcher playing left field, you got to take advantage of that, and that's one of the things that Javi Baez brings to the plate is his ability to make magic happen, and he pushes the envelope sometimes, and him running there, it was no doubt in his head, and, and, and he made a great play. I wanted to point out Michael Conforto. Early in that game, he showed some real frustration, which is rare for him. He threw his, or threw his bat, slammed his helmet, was really frustrated, and I saw, uh, I saw Louis Rojas go up to him and talk to him, and they, they mentioned it in the postgame interview. He said, look, get your frustration out, but you're going to come up in a big spot later in the game. And he did, and he came through. I think that was a huge momentum builder. He, he put together a great at-bat and that, that base hit to left that, that scored the winning run. Beautiful thing. Everybody celebrated. It felt bigger than it actually was because of the whole thumbs down scandal, but it's over. And that, that really slammed the door shut. I think this was a big turning point for them because a month ago, those Mets are going to allow that to carry over and they're going to lose in dramatic fashion. Instead, they win in dramatic fashion. That brings us to game two. This was uh, this nightcap of not really a doubleheader because of the postponement, but it's a doubleheader for all intents and purposes. As a player, it's a doubleheader because you have to go to the ballpark and play two games. And so it's hard to win both. They won the first one. It gives them a chance to sweep. So that's lovely. So Trevor Williams took the mound today or on, the, on this game, and he really impressed. On a doubleheader, you want a pitcher that throws strikes. And Trevor Williams came throwing strikes. He kept your defense on their toes. He kept the momentum going. He worked fast. It was impressive. In a seven inning ball game, he got yanked a little bit earlier because the game's compacted. He went four and a third, gave up four hits, four strikeouts, no walks. It was a beautiful, a beautiful outing for him. That brings his season total as a Met to 13 innings, only one run and nine strikeouts since he got traded over. Uh, incredible. I'm super impressed with him. He's a, a great mix for the, for the Mets rotation. Um, in this game, Michael Conforto did a signature thing again. He hit these massive two-run home run to right. Uh, wonderful thing. Put the put the Mets up two to nothing. Uh, that was like a that was a Conforto moment when he went to left left center a couple of games ago. Base hit to win it in the first game. Huge two-run home run on just a pure Conforto short compact easy swing deposited deep. Uh, and then after that, Mc, uh, McNeil added a huge RBI double to make it three to nothing. In the fifth, Aaron Loop came in with bases loaded and one out. Did what Aaron Loop does. He may have got this magic double play on a comebacker. Did his little spin through. It was a one-two-three double play, which is hard to do. Uh, and the Mets win three to one in seven innings. Uh, Diaz locked it down in the ninth, make it nice and smooth, two punch outs, and that was a big win to get both ends of that doubleheader. 
Yeah, it's a big thing. The Mets have now swept back-to-back doubleheaders. And we're counting this as a doubleheader. Like, I've seen a lot of, like, oh, the, the Mets didn't only won three in a row. No, they won four in a row. I don't care if this happened in April. We can all have fun with the box score. This was a doubleheader, and the Mets won it. Absolutely. And they deserve the recognition for it, for sure. Yeah, another thing on Trevor Williams, he was extremely efficient in this game. In all likelihood, he could have gone all seven innings if the game wasn't as tight as it was at the time. He only had 57 pitches to get through those four innings, which is really impressive. Nimmo had two more hits in this game, which was awesome. And Diaz locked down that ninth inning in nine pitches. He's looked really good ever since those blowups in uh, late June, early July. So that uh, led us to game three because uh, a monsoon, or I guess a hurricane, took out uh, what was supposed to be the next day game. So we played on September 2nd instead. The Mets pulled this one out as well, 4-3. to three. Jonathan Villar and Miguel Rojas both homered on the first pitch of the game. I tried to find when this last happened. I don't know if it's ever happened uh, since the expansion era, so that was really special. You know, Cookie's had his struggles in the first inning, and, you know, as soon as that first pinch would, uh, went flying, I got flashbacks of the game I went to last week when Chris Bryant homered in the first inning as well. Uh, I saw your tweet saying, come on. He's like, you don't have to live up to your name. You're a cookie. Don't throw cookies in the first pitch of the game. Stop no it. more get me over fastballs, please. Throw a changeup <laughs> or something, because Cookie's changeup looked pretty good last night uh, when he started using it more. So what we've learned about Cookie is that he struggles in the first. His ERA is like 15 in the first inning, and then after that, it's about four for the remainder of his start. And it was the same story again. He allowed that uh, a couple first inning runs and then was smooth sailing uh, through five and a third. He allowed three earned runs total, four hits, one walk, five strikeouts. This begs the question of maybe Cookie should have an opener of some kind. We can talk about that a little bit later of how the Mets would do that, who they would put there. They've used Drew Smith a couple times in that spot, so that remains to be seen. I wanted to highlight Patrick Mazika as well. He had a pretty good game. He went two for three. He got robbed his first time up, uh, but he went, ended up going two for three, a double and a single there. And that was big for him because he's been kind of slumping a little bit lately. And also James McKinn might be coming back from the IL soon. So you got to worry about how much playing time Mazika might get. And if his back gets hot, you might have to just keep playing him. We'll see about that as well. Dom Smith, who is not a starter uh, for the Mets anymore, came up big in another pinch hit spot. He's two for two in his last pinch hits. This was a big go-ahead RBI single in the seventh. He's four for 12 since his role got demoted, a double and three RBIs in that span. So Dom Smith, he's adapting to that new role pretty well. So that might mean that he'll stay there, maybe not see more playing time. Uh, but it was an ugly game. I, we should uh, preface this whole discussion, or I guess we should have, uh, by saying that seven errors were made in this game. It was ugly. Yeah, it was ugly. There were some great plays in this game, too, uh, from Lindor and Jazz Chisholm, and even Rojas, who made an error later. But somehow, someway, we ended up with seven errors total, four from the Marlins, three from the Mets. There was a pretty bad one uh, that that wasn't consequential, but it was Brian De La Cruz catching the third out of the, uh, the seventh, I believe, or the eighth, and he just did a Luis Castillo. It went in his glove. He didn't close it. He took his eyes off it, and then it popped right out. And uh, the scoreboard showed end of eighth and uh, cleared the bases and all that because everyone had just assumed that it was going to be this easy third out. But uh, somehow, someway, with these seven errors, no unearned runs scored. So they were pretty much all inconsequential, which I find pretty, uh, pretty hilarious. And then once again, the story of the 2021 Mets, the bullpen held down the fort and maintained a one-run lead, and Diaz got his 28th save, this time in 15 pitches. But once again, the Mets pulled out a win. They get a big sweep of the Marlins, headed into a huge five-game set in D.C. with the Washington Nationals. All good things. All good things. Uh, I wanted to, you, you mentioned Mazika. I think he's put together some really good at-bats these last few games that he's been in there. He kind of looked a little bit overmatched at times when he was playing infrequently because getting an A-B here and there is the hardest thing to do in baseball. Like pinch hitting, it's a, it's. I don't know how people do it. That's why Nimmo 
like was special from the jump. That's why Dom in the role that he's playing right now, he's probably going to stick there because it's hard to put together those kinds of ABs. So I just want to give a shout out to Mazika for, for looking really good at the plate. Um, he looks like he belongs and that's, that's good for him. Yeah, certainly. So, and like, you know, there was a lot of good offensive performances uh, from this series and, you know, Mazika's numbers weren't great, but I feel like every time I watched him step up to the plate, he's always making hard contact. And like, you could say that for a lot of Mets, especially Lindor, who finally got a double in the last game of the series, but was hitting the ball hard everywhere. Just wasn't getting any uh, luck really. And it was confusing because in a lot of these instances, it looked like the Marlins defense was doing a fantastic job, but they came away with four errors in the last game. So that was pretty peculiar. Uh, some offensive standouts, though. Brandon Nimmo had six hits in this series. He went six for 11. Big home run, his fifth of the year. Uh, two RBIs to go with that. Three runs scored. So he's doing it on all sides of the ball. I'm really loving him in the two spot. I'm loving the VR spark plug at the top and Nimmo in the two hole because it just makes that lineup deeper, I feel like. It just expands the lineup so much. I feel like VR is so much more effective at the top rather than in like the seven or eight hole. I feel like he's much better service there. Uh, Conforto went two for 10, uh, but one of those two is the big uh, home run in the in the uh, second game of the series that eventually put the Mets over. He had the big walk-off in the first game of the series as well. And the bullpen doing its thing as well. I'll let you take that away, of course. Bullpen, 10 in the third, two earned runs, only three hits, had nine walks. They had that, you know, that kind of little blip, but it was in a victory, so that was okay. But they also punched out 16 and 10 in the third. So not their normal dominance, but still dominance. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they're always getting the job done regardless. And uh, it was a lot of Aaron loop inducing big outs. He had, I think two separate bases loaded situations that he got out of in the series. I know he had the first one with the double play. Maybe I'm misremembering there. No, no, he got out of, he did walk the bases loaded. Yeah. Both times he came in with first and second walked a batter and then got out of it. The second time I think he walked a guy in and then got out of it, but either way, I mean, it's, it's a tough situation. If you're going to give up one run in that situation, no matter how it goes across one run, if you knew beforehand and I'd, I'd take it and he did it. He's amazing. He's, he's doing an absolutely tremendous job. That whole bullpen has been great. Um, VR. How many home runs does VR have? 18. I think he's up to 18. He had two in this series. Because it feels like he has 50 home runs. Like, is it just me? Or I feel like every home, he hits a home run, like every game. And he was like 18. I was like, that's not the right number. Number two on the Mets in home runs though. So certified slugger, Jonathan VR. <laughs> I, I honestly feel like he's hit so many home runs and they were like the, I remember hearing the Howie Rose call and it was like, that was the 17th. And then he hit the 18th. Man, this is, that's the most, like, it just feels like way more than that, which is, a, I guess, a testament to the type of plays he's making. It might be that leadoff spot because I feel like he hits a leadoff home run. I really don't know because I feel like he's, well, one, he's always hitting the ball hard, especially when I see him hit uh, lefty. Uh, but two, I mean, you know, the Mets got him for $4 million this offseason to be a bench piece, and you're getting the absolute maximum value of Jonathan VR this season. It's really showing up in August because he was the best hitter on the Mets in August uh, by a long stretch in major offensive categories. So he's earned the right to play every day. I mean, we talked a little bit before about Dom getting demoted and Jeff's not getting as much playing time either, but that's because Jonathan VR has been red hot and we've been able to plug him in various places and he's always produced. I mean, he, he's had some base running blunders. We know that that happened in this series. Again, he's made a couple errors too, but you know, we've dealt with that with JD Davis before. And like, I, you just, you have to play the hot hand right now. And I'm really glad that Louis Rojas isn't shying away from that. He's putting out the lineup that has been working for him and it got him a sweep. So you got to win. You got to win. And so you put in the people that are doing the job and, and VR has been excellent. You know, like you said, you mentioned some of the base running 
errors and, and a couple of the defensive blunders, but overall he's played solid defense and he's absolutely crushed the ball. So, uh, you know, we were, the Mets are paying him 4 million. He's going to get paid a little more than that next year. I imagine. I think so. He's, he's definitely showed his value as far as uh, for a team and for most likely a one year, maybe a two year deal. There's, he's going to be a hot commodity, I think. Yeah. And the Mets, you know, they kind of have a problem on their, on their hands now. Cause you know, VR obviously is a very valuable bench piece, but he could be a starter on various teams uh, come the offseason. So he's going to get some nice offers there. Hopefully the Mets can get him to come back because I'm sure he's been, you know, a clubhouse presence, a leader of sorts, and, you know, a lot of trying times for the Mets. But now we're just a game under 500. We're 66 and 67. We got five coming up with a team that we've uh, won five of the last six against uh, in the Washington Nationals. So the Mets are looking like they're in a very good spot right now. Obviously, our divisional contemporaries in the Phillies and Braves continue to win as well. The Phillies just finished their sweep in the Nats. Uh, the Braves uh, got a win last night against the Rockies after taking just one from the Dodgers. The Phillies are just one back of the Braves now, I believe. Um, or it might be two back. I think it's two back because the Braves won last night. But still, it's a very tight race uh, for sure. But again, the sweep is not the only story for the Mets because controversy just kind of follows this team around wherever they go. They cannot seem to escape it. It's like a monkey on their back. Even when they play well, they can't get out of it. Uh, this time, it's another front office thing, and it's uh, involving Zach Scott, who I had thought would be pretty inconsequential and you know non-problematic just because he kind of stepped into the role quietly and did a, a serviceable job uh, as the GM. But news came to light recently that uh, Zach Scott uh, is facing some charges against him for a DWI uh, and three other various charges as well. Uh, and he'll be taking an administrative leave of absence uh, and pleading not guilty to these charges. Apparently Scott was at a company outing a charity outing at Steve Cohen's home uh, the night of the incident, but it was eight hours prior and several people at that scene said that he seemed sober when he left. So it's probably not directly related, but you know, it's just another Mets thing to spice up the drama. I, I assume we don't know. We don't know the circumstances surrounding it. I think the Mets are doing the proper thing by giving him a leave of leave of absence. Uh, for me, innocent until proven guilty. Um, so he deserves the benefit of the doubt. But on being said, uh, don't drink and drive. I don't care what whatever the circumstances are, especially in a in a in a city like New York where you can get a ride at any time in any given place. Just don't do it. I'm not saying that he did, and until it gets proven that he did or that I'm going to believe that he didn't. So um, again, very Mets bring some controversy. It happens. So, but uh, I still feel like the momentum around the team is, is riding sky high. I feel like we're, we're moving forward. It's positive vibes all around. It's weird to think that thumbs down, I think is making more waves than this, but I think it's just because they happen right next to each other. And it's just like combining into one big wave. Well, I think I think the the thumbs down thing was actual like big. It was news because it, it was sensational and it felt like you know, are you what are you saying to the fans? Like it was a, and it really wasn't. It, it was like billboard material, like bulletin, you know, whatever it takes to motivate. And it's it's work. The the fans seem to be getting behind it and and having fun with it. That's what it takes, and it's nice to see. It's a long season, so we're moving forward. We're feeling good. We're building momentum. Uh, you talked about the Phillies only one or two games back. Now we showed the, their September um, uh, schedule and they've got the, probably the easiest of, of us three teams and of our three teams. And we'll see what they can do because the, the Phillies are playing good baseball. So, yeah, I mean, uh, they were down six, nothing 
yesterday before they uh, came back on the Nationals. Now they're headed to play Miami, uh, and then they got the Milwaukee the, the Milwaukee Brewers coming up right after that, so that's no uh, easy treat there. But after that, Rockies, Cubs, Orioles, Pirates, and then a couple of Braves and Mets series in there. So the Phillies definitely have it easy going here. Uh, they lost Reese Hoskins for the year, but that really hasn't slowed them down at all. So it's, it's going to be a race to the end. And, you know, the Mets have nine games coming up with the Nationals and Marlins. Uh, both are away series, but both are very easy fodder for them to capitalize and continue to gain ground on their division rivals here. You talked to nine, nine games. We have a five-game set in Washington. Five games. What is that? Like, that is so rare. That happens in the minor leagues because you're like, we're not going back to that city so we got to get all five games in. That can that can bring some tension, you know. If these teams were battling five games, uh, playing each other, there's there's going to be some some fireworks usually. Hopefully, the Mets just pound them into the ground and and beat them beat them up, and so they have no fight. And this is the series. This is a uh, don't let Juan Soto beat you. This is a we've talked about it before. We're talking about it again. This is the guy. Don't let him beat you. Just don't. That's it. It's not worth it. It's simply not worth it. He had a two-run homer yesterday, but the Nats had this really deflating loss, and you're going to play them with no off day. So just continue the momentum. Just kind of stomp them in. Make sure they can't really get up. Um, But you got five games coming up here. It's also coming up on Labor Day weekend, which takes me all the way back to 2015. When the Mets came to D.C. on Labor Day weekend, David Wright had that signature moment. We had a big win with Kirk Newenheis. It's just got that Newly. special feeling. Yeah, I always like to shout out Captain Kirk when I can. He's one of my all-time I favorites. appreciate it. We uh, we have uh, like an old Mets fantasy football league and Newey's in it. I got to get in there, man. Come on, throw me in. Are you an ex-Met? Um, something like You're that. You're out. I think. Really? <laughs> like a farmhand. That's one good. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, exactly. So we're not going to touch too much more on the on this whole uh, Zach Scott D, DWI thing. I don't think it. I don't think it needs. It's not news yet. Yeah, we don't. We don't know much about it. But Conan Alderson got kind of blindsided by it, and uh, Sandy Alderson's son Bryn has stepped into an assistant GM role to sort of help him out with that. He was he was named him and uh, Ian McClellan were named assistant GMs earlier this year, and so they're probably going to shoulder more of that burden now with uh, with one less. Um, brain trust in there. And so, you know, they'll figure it out. But they've already made a move, actually. They've already made a move for a lefty. Not you, sadly. Big one. Yeah, but Brad Hand. Better, better than me. (laughs) Uh, We'll see. I don't know about that. Right now, I guarantee you. Okay, well, yeah, he's got the training. He's got that advantage, I guess. But uh, Brad Hand is finally a Met. I guess it's just like 10 months late because, you know, we were going for him in the offseason. Brad Hand not getting him is actually the only reason we have Aaron Loop. So him coming here is kind of like the Mets win it all. Yeah, yep, I agree with that. We got we got the Lupian uh, performances because we didn't get him, and now we get him anyway, and so that's that's going to be great. Plus, he's not going to have to be the ninth inning guy. He's not even going to have to be the eighth or the seventh inning guy. We're going to figure out where he fits in. It's going to be fun for him because he's going to fill a, a different role. Uh, and there's going to be a lot less pressure on him. And so all they, all he's going to do is be put into, into very successful opportunities. And uh, I, I hope to see him thrive. He's a heck of a pitcher. I really love watching him throw that slider. That thing is insane. I don't know how he does it. I literally watch his mechanics and, and the way he spins the ball. I don't, I don't get it, um, but it's pure entertainment. So I'm excited for him to join the team. 
did we make a did we make a corresponding move for him yet? Yeah, it was uh, Jeff Hartlieb got DFA'd, and uh, I don't know if you also saw this, but Khalil Lee came up for a day and then immediately got demoted so they could bring up Yenzi Diaz. So they're just loading up the bullpen, I guess. But poor Khalil Lee, he didn't deserve that. Hey, he he. That's a better paycheck than being if day in the big leagues versus a day in the minor leagues. Plus, you get to go to the game. It's a it it feels bad because you didn't get an actual thing, but it's a it's a positive vibe, especially because he's only like 13 years old and in the big leagues. It's all bonus. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's accurate there. Yeah, Brad Hand had a really good uh he had a really good first two months of the season, and then things really slowed down in that last month with the Nats, and then he just wasn't really effective with the Blue Jays. I personally was shocked when he got designated for an assignment and kind of just landed on waivers there. I really like the Mets just kind of taking a flyer and taking a chance because, you know, one, you're just going to make this bullpen stronger, and it's already pretty much at full strength, so that's always good. And two, it's it's kind of like a guilty pleasure for me because I wanted him really bad in the offseason. I was definitely wrong because Aaron Loop's been, you know, the best lefty in the game, arguably, and now we get him anyway, so... That doesn't mean you're wrong. That doesn't that just because somebody else steps in and does an amazing job doesn't mean that you're wrong for wanting to get Brad Hand. You know what I mean? I just want to make sure that you know that. Other pitchers are also good. Doesn't mean that that wanting Brad Hand was the bad move. Because he was the hot commodity for a reason, because he is absolutely nasty. And it was only like $10 million, which first of all, him getting uh non-tendered in, in Cleveland was the shock and then him getting, you know, getting a DFA in Toronto. So however he got here, we're happy, happy to have him. Definitely a convoluted road there, but you got to wonder like, wow, the Blue Jays gave up a a decent prospect in Riley Adams to get right hand and let him go after a month. But this isn't a Jays pod. It's a Mets pod. So we're just going to take this win and, uh, and run with it for sure. But yeah, this weekend, uh, we got uh, Brad Hand's former team, the Washington Nationals, his former employer for five games. And this is a big opportunity for the Mets to kind of gain some serious ground. You know, the Braves are in Colorado. They're playing a Rockies team that has the best home record in baseball. They had a win last night, but they definitely had to work for it. They won that one six to five. Um, So this could be, you know, a prime opportunity to kind of get some games on the Braves here. Uh, Game one is going to be two, I saw this on the broadcast last night, two former Long Island Ducks. I believe is what they said, in Rich Hill and Sean Nolan. They're going to be facing off. The Mets actually got Sean Nolan last time, and Sean Nolan had his best start since he was uh, in the big leagues before in 2015. Five and a third innings pitched, two and run 6K. So he looks like he's getting this footing, but hopefully the Mets can, you know, take that footing and, you know, throw it across the yard there a little bit. Because, you know, you got to face the same team back-to-back times. It's not an easy thing to do. I think this is his third start against the Mets. Already. Anytime you see a pitcher, yeah, I mean, in a short span of time. Anytime you see a pitcher often it's an advantage for the hitters because they they don't need to wait as long to see they know what's coming their way um and so it should be an advantage for the Mets and hopefully they take advantage uh of seeing this guy uh the Nationals are gonna have a similar advantage because they just faced Rich Hill Hill kind of dazzled against them he had eight strikeouts and five innings but I'm assuming it's going to be a rockier road this time around but that's the game one I don't don't make that assumption oh, I'm sorry Rich Hill is Rich Hill is a magician man that's true He's a vet. You know, Khalil Lee is like 13. Rich Hill is like 45. So there's magic, still magic in that left arm. Are all these ages that you're throwing out completely accurate? I've heard that Khalil Lee is 13, uh, that Rich Hill's 45, and that Juan Soto is like 19 or something. Are, are these all accurate? You've done your research? Well, they're about as accurate as the the phrase 110% can be. So Just making sure. Just clarifying <laughs> for the pod. Uh, game two, we got the de facto ace taking the bump, Marcus Stroman. He's going up against Eric Fetty, who the Mets roughed up last time. 
They got uh, six runs on him in five innings. And uh, Stroh had a fantastic start against the Nats. Six innings, two run runs. That's what he does. I'm fully expecting him to do it again. Uh, and this is uh, game one of a doubleheader. The nightcap will be Tyler McGill against somebody. We don't know who yet for the Nationals. Uh, but McGill had a nice bounce back last time out against the Nationals. Five innings, two earned runs. So hopefully he can continue that and steady that. He's had a lot of, uh, you know, like a big veteran presence, honestly, for such a rookie for coming back from, one, having to face the Giants twice in a row and really doing well the first time, really getting roughed up the second time. And then uh, he's going to have to do it again here. So I'm hoping, you know, maybe it won't be the, the same result as last time. Hopefully he can learn from his, his mistakes uh, the first time around there. Yeah, I think that's one of the things, the, the veteran presence of, of Stroman and Rich Hill and, and Taiwan Walker and Cookie, those guys can just talk to him a little bit and be like, look, just go out and do your thing. Your stuff is incredible. Your poise on the mound, just go pitch. And he should be fine. I, I've been so impressed with him all year long. This is a lineup he should take advantage of. And uh, I, I expect to see him uh, dominate, to be honest. Hopefully so. And then uh, game four the next day. Uh, will be Taiwan Walker against Josiah Gray. It's going to be the Mets' first time seeing uh, the new rookie phenom that came over in the Trey Turner Max Scherzer deal. Josiah Gray has been good, but his one problem has been allowing a lot of home runs. He's allowed 13 homers in 40 innings pitched over seven starts. Taiwan Walker was suffering from a similar problem uh, earlier in the second half. It's since settled down, uh, so hopefully we don't see much of that from him. But the ball should be flying uh, for the Mets, to say the least. Hopefully they can get some uh, some big bops against uh, Josiah Gray, because they've been hitting more home runs recently, which has been a very welcome sign between uh, Conforto and VR and all those guys. It actually hasn't been Pete that much recently. Yeah, Nemo too. And Pete's kind of cooled off from that those power numbers. Um, hopefully he gets back into it because we're going to need him. Uh, but I'm excited to see Josiah Gray throw. I hope he goes, you know, throws incredible, but also gives up a lot of runs. So I'm excited to see, see him. We're going to be seeing a lot of him uh, for the next few years. And I just like the name Josiah. Yeah, it's cool. He's like, he has an ace name, you know? Like, I just feel like some names are just destined to be big names in MLB. Josiah Gray is one of those for me. Yeah, man. I live in, I'm in Northwest Ohio, but Northeast Ohio is like, you know, uh, Amish country. And I feel like Josiah fits right into that Western Pennsylvania, you know, Josiah Gray sounds like uh, a guy that, that works on the farm and a hard worker. So I, I want to see how he goes about his business. You know what I mean? I need an edit of Josiah Gray as an Amish man. I feel like that'd be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it's just as Jedediah Josiah. I mean, who knows? I think that's a, that is a big league name. And uh, I just want to see what he, what he, what he goes about. I want him to grow like just the, the beard right here. And like the curled mustache, but they don't actually connect. So it's like the beard under and then like the curled mustache. You know what I'm talking about, right? That's how my beard would be if I grew it out like that. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. It doesn't fully connect there. There's a little bit of Yeah, space. I know. It's not that I, I don't have that manly gene. I can grow this hair, but the facial hair, chest hair, not really my forte. It's a shame. That's why I go with just this combo mustache and a little bit of patch because the beard is just, it's a mess. You don't want to see it. Hey, if we make the playoffs, are you going to grow a playoff beard? I don't know, man. If that, if that ends up being a good luck charm, I might just have to. I don't know. I just, I need to see it. Uh, maybe. Eventually. The, the baby face, you gotta, you gotta either go all clean or, or grow it out. You see some stubble, you know, I'm not saying you have you a baby face, but you're, you have, you have uh, a youthful face. Let's okay. just put it that I'll way. take that. Very delicate. Very nice. <laughs> and then uh, of course there's game five, cause this is a completely normal series. That's going to be cookie Carrasco who just went yesterday going up against Patrick Corbin, Patrick Corbin, the Mets have to capitalize on. I feel like they haven't done enough against him in the times that they faced him this year. He has the highest qualified ERA of any starter in major leagues this year at 6.26. It's been a rough year uh, for one of the three-headed monster guys on the Nats. 
Uh, and, you know, he got roughed up against the Phillies last time, too. So the Mets kind of need to take advantage of that. There are just a lot of scenarios where the Mets can win each of these games. And I'm not asking for a five-game sweep because that's basically the hardest thing for any team to do uh, in the big leagues. But, man, winning this series and taking four would be super, super nice. I think the the goal, that's got to be the goal, is to win four. Um, the Corbin start, I have no idea what's happened to Corbin. I don't see it. I don't understand what's going on. There's There's got to be some type of metric to take advantage of, uh, of what's happening. Um, but he's a wild card for me. He's been getting, he's like you said, he's got the highest ERA of qualifying pitchers, but he's still Patrick Corbin and he's still, he's not like lost anything. I don't know what it, what's happening. Um, but you know, don't write the ship just yet. Yeah, please wait one more start. <laughs> one, one more start. Yeah, and people laugh at that that six year deal, but like I still think it's worth it because you got a ring out of it. They like, want they won a World Series. Like it's all it's it's completely worth it. Like that whole franchise, absolutely. And then they sold everybody, so they started over. He's still a he's still a commodity. I he didn't he's not going great, but I think he's a pitcher that teams are going to try to trade for in the off season because he's he's got a lot of money left owed. They're going to try to have the Nats pay it down and get uh, a quality starter for three years. So whatever the case may be. Not a bad idea. Uh, we have one small injury update. It was something I mentioned briefly before, but James McCann has progressed well uh, from his back spasms. He's going to be doing some, uh, some running uh, practices in the coming days, and hopefully those go well, and he'll be able to rejoin the team. Because Patrick Muzika has been catching a lot of Mets baseball. I kind of feel bad for Pat's uh, legs there, because uh, I don't think they're holding up too well. He's been kind of just... It was baptism by fire, really. It was He was down in the minors after his two great walk-offs. Then he came up, and he's started pretty much every game since he's gotten back to the bigs because of injuries to Tomas Nito, uh, who went back on the IL after hurting his thumb again, and uh, James McCann, of course. So Patrick Mazika, he's done a serviceable job, but I think getting McCann back will definitely relieve him a little bit. I think so, too. He, he's His legs look fine to me. I mean, he's 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 putting barrels on the ball. He went first to third the other day, uh, came in sliding hard, uh, finally got rid of that 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 beard. I think it's helped him. I think he looks swift on his feet. He has been better since he got rid of the beard, but I kind of liked it. It was very iconic Patty Maz. I'm not going to lie. Patty Maz, that's a good nickname. Not bad, right? That's like a player's weekend nickname. Not bad. Patty Maz, I think that would work. Yeah, right? Did you, did you ever, you did Players Weekend, right? Did you have, yep. you were in the league. Did you have a special thing on your back or no? I did. My first year I had Gordo because that's what um, Cespedes has called me. And it's kind of a, the juxtaposition. Uh, and then Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. Oh, wait, I think I remember Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. Cause it's like sprawled out on the back, right? Yeah. Oh, here, check it out. Like this is random. I don't know. You can't even see it. I got a tops card. I just, my mom buys everything about me on the internet. And this, <laughs> I love her. She's, she is my number one fan. Bless her heart. She's the best. Uh, but. Oh, there it is. Look at that. Yeah. I, I can see it a little bit with the glare. There it is. How about there? There you go. You I see like, it? Yeah. I like it. Yeah. It's a, I mean, having a baseball card, like I played for 13 years and I've been retired for a few months and I still am completely baffled that I got to play baseball. And so having a baseball card is so cool. Like my nephew, uh, my nephew collects cards, my brother, and then like, he'll be like, oh, there's an Uncle Jerry card. Like throw it away because it's not worth anything. Wow. But oh, he doesn't do that. Oh he's like, he's got, him, <laughs> he's got him next to his like, you know, he'll have um, a Luca 
and a Ronald Acuna, and then they'll have like me right there on top, like Uncle Jerry, your card's right here. I'm like, buddy, you don't have to treat me. You don't have to treat me on, on equal par. I love you no matter what. And he's like, I just, your cards are so cool. They're all worth the same. They're all very valuable. Come on. They're <laughs> uh, sentimental, sentimental value. But uh, having a baseball card is so cool. And then the, the players weekend, Patty Maz, I think you need to let him know. Let it be known. Patty Maz needs to go on. I don't even know what he would do. I thought about Magic Maz, but now we have El Mago, so you can't really do Magic for Mazika because Magic is Javi Baez now. So I think Patty Maz is pretty good. I, I think it's a great nickname. I wanna, I'm want to. i sad that I didn't call him that when we were into briefly together. Yeah, who could have who known, though, the year that Patty Maz would have? we got to get him on the show. Let, let, me, let me ask you, this is a, an age question okay. like a uh generational because we are that we're the same age yeah so if i <laughs> if i said patty mayonnaise would you know that at all patty mayonnaise patty mayonnaise i'm afraid not tell what's the reference what's the reference the cartoon doug have you ever heard of doug oh i know doug. yeah i know doug so that's his that's his his love interest in i at that least show. know that okay cool 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 yeah no if you throw it back to some early cartoons I got some Rugrats. I got some Boomerang in there. Some Courage the Cowardly. What Dog. did What did you watch? What was your like? So like, I was big Courage the Cowardly Dog. That was my number one show, cartoon growing up for sure. Rugrats, I was big into. I loved the Rugrats. That Rugrats is forever. Like it's forever. Like it's is it still going on? I don't know if it's it's evolved into spinoffs, but it's generational for sure. I think Tommy is like the oldest baby. Him and uh, what's the what's the youngest um, Simpson? Maggie Simpson. She's the youngest one. Yeah. Maggie, Maggie Simpson is the forever baby. Like then Tommy. Yeah. I was, I'm old enough to be a Simpsons kid, not a family guy kid. If that makes sense. Okay. That does make sense. That's, it makes great sense. Yes. So like, I caught like the tail end of Simpsons, but I also grew up with it. I watched like reruns and shit. This is, this is quality pod stuff. This is my fault. This is my <laughs> scatterbrain again. Sorry. <laughs> Patty Maz, Patty mayonnaise, Tommy pickles, Courage the dog. Courage the dog? Cowardly dog. Courage the cowardly dog. That's that's a little ironic. That's Gordo for me. That's the same kind of thing. All right. We made it full circle. There we go. It all it all loops back, you know? This is quality. I mean, it, what what's the what's the the potties? Is there a potties award for like amazing we content? Should, honestly, for best banter or something like that. We gotta be the there. daytime Emmy. There's a <laughs> the Grammy Academy of whatever it is. This is it. Like we're doing it. I feel strong about our performance. Look at us. <laughs> the arc. <laughs> pure con. Yeah, pure pure baseball and life content. This is it. Yeah. All right. So anyway, we're gonna. I'm gonna bring us back now. If that's all right. With you. Okay. <laughs> James McCann back spasms. Hopefully he'll be back soon. But I also got a nice today in Mets history for us. This one only goes back one year, actually, uh, courtesy of at NYM History on Twitter and Instagram. Go follow them. They're great. Uh, but prior to the game against the Yankees at this day last year, the Mets honored Tom Seaver uh, by tipping caps to his retired number and rubbing dirt on their right knee, which was a very nice uh, get together for them. They had the Subway Series that day. Uh, they had a big game. Uh, J.D. Davis tied it in the ninth with a solo home run off Araldis Chapman. If you remember, that should have been a walk-off home run, but Billy Hamilton got caught stealing third when he probably shouldn't have been. Definitely shouldn't have been. Yeah. But uh, uh, the next inning, Pete Alonso took care of everything, hit his first career walk-off home run in the rain. Mets won that game 9-7. to Very memorable day for me. I I'm assuming since it's only last year, you probably remember this as well. 
I do. This was a, remember, a memorable game anyway. This is one of those moments uh, that Pete will remember forever. First of all, the, the Subway Series, always elevated. Like playing the other New York team is always going to be like one of these big moments. Uh, and then the Tom Seaver, you know, rubbing the, the dirt on the right knee. That's so classy, so cool. It's such a baseball thing, you know, dragging his knee on the ground. Like that's a, that's signature. I, that was super cool to see. And then to end it in dramatic fashion where it was like, you know, we tied it, could have been a, a head. And then the Pete Alonzo walk off, like pure clutch. That was wonderful. Yeah, really storybook game there for a, a pretty un, uh, forgettable season there. Uh, in 2020 for the Mets, but that was definitely a nice highlight. Probably one of the games that I remember the most, probably that or like the other Mets-Yankees game where uh, Ahmed Rosario hit a walk-off home run, but they were at Yankee Stadium, so it was a walk-off, but you were the away team. Weird, weird season, man. Just a, just a weird season. Just a weird season. The, the 2020 season, I have no idea how it's going to fit into the record books, but like I've almost completely erased it from my memory for the most part. Like 18 playoff. Like I'm hoping the Dodgers can win another ring because I don't want 2020 to be their only championship. I, I don't care at all about whether the Dodgers win or lose. I don't, it, to me, it doesn't have an asterisk because they were the best team in, in baseball by far. I think it doesn't, it's not like, you know, I don't want to knock on the Marlins, but if the Marlins made the playoffs and they would have, they, they did make the playoffs, but if they would have won the world series, it would have felt bad, but the Dodgers winning the world series feels like they deserve to win the world series, but the season as a whole, all the stats, all the awards don't feel right to me. Like Trevor Bauer over DeGrom, like in a small sample size, you know, by the way, I don't, that's a tough name to bring up. Yeah. And I apologize for that, but like the, all those awards just don't feel great. And I, and I feel like a lot of it was like chopped up. And uh, so it's, I, I erased it from my memory. The Dodgers win the world series outright. No, no asterisk, but everything else is a blur. Yeah. It, it feels weird to hand out season awards for like 12 starts in the first place. I'm happy that Freddie Freeman got an MVP. That was pretty cool. Um, but uh, oh yeah, that's an, that's one of those awards where I'm like, finally, like this guy is so good at baseball and he, and he fought off COVID and like thought he was going to die. Like it was pretty intense. Like that's a good story. Again, little moments, but as far as the season goes, like all the, like I'm out, I'm out on it. <laughs> well, let's get, take it back six more years then for Jog and Jerry's memory. We'll avoid 2020 Ooh. as a whole. There will never be a 2020 Jog and Jerry's memory, which I kind of like, honestly, you got out of there right in time. Uh, to be fair. But this one goes back to 2014, Nationals Days, Jerry, again. Uh, this was a pretty crazy game. Uh, the Nationals were trying to compete to be the best team in the National League. This win would get them over the hump. You came in in the sixth uh, to a bases-loaded one-out situation, but you got a Drew Butera pop-out and a D Gordon strikeout to preserve a 3-3 three -three tie. This game would go 14 innings. You did your service eight innings ago at that point, uh, but the Nats would win 8-5 to five in extras and pass the Dodgers for the best record in the MLB. Unfortunately, uh, they, I think that was the year you guys faced in the NLDS, or did you guys get the Cardinals that year in 2014? No, we faced the Giants in oh, 2014. Oh, right. That's the Brandon Bell and the Bryce Harper off uh, Hunter Strickland. Yeah. And the 18th, Hunter Strickland. For me, it'll always be the game that they pulled Jordan Zimmerman out in the ninth. Yeah. That that was the first game that set the tone. And then, but without that, you don't get the, the, um, the the Madison Bumgarner like pure performance in the playoffs like that's one of the most historic uh, performances in any postseason and it's probably the greatest postseason performance I will ever see as far as from a pitcher maybe even both because 
Like they, they literally, he carried that team. He's a, he'll be a forever like superhero for me after seeing that. But I'd completely forgotten it because it gets overshadowed by what he did in the World Series like a couple weeks later when he came in on like no days rest and gave him like four innings. That was crazy. Yeah, it was a, it was amazing. Uh, that I remember this game vividly because at this point I'm fighting for my roster spot for the playoffs because I had had a, quite an up and down year. And they were throwing me out there. They're like, hey, if you're going to make it, make it. And I really stepped up and pitched well starting right around here. And I pitched well in the playoffs that year. Um, and so it was a big it was a big outing for me. I've never looked at your playoff stats, actually. Are they good? Am go I, for is it. Is it okay? Can I read they're them They're very out? good. Okay, cool. Oh, they're very good. I can good. tell you. Go, go ahead. Go oh, you, ahead. Wait, okay. Actually, I'm going to pull them up. Do you know them off the top of your head? I don't know the actual stats, but I know there's – I gave up one hit. And I remember the hit vividly. It was a, it was a Prince Fielder bloop base hit that landed right behind second base in between that little no man's land. It was just a bloop hit. My only, my only hit I, I've given up in the playoffs. Um, and I've, I pitch really well. Like anytime that the, the, it's elevated, I, I think it was like that calm, cool, collected approach that allows me to slow the game down and try to take a, advantage of other players' adrenaline in those situations. And I felt like I was at my best in the playoffs and I, I never got a chance, like the 15 run when I was hurt. Yeah. That was like my one, you know, you don't get to, you don't get to play in the world series and, and that'll be one of those huge misses for me that I didn't get to do that. Yeah. I was going to bring up. So we know that the 2015 legend of Jerry Blevins is five perfect innings before he got injured, but postseason Jerry Blevins, Seven innings, one hit, no run runs, no walks, two strikeouts. So you have a clean postseason record from those two goes. Pretty good. A lot of a lot of weak contact. I remember the 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 Giants facing Brandon Belt and Crawford and those guys in some big innings. I came in uh quite a few times in that 18 inning game that Brandon Belt hit that walk-off home run. I came in and got Strasburg out of a, a mess. Like it was fun, man. I loved the big moments and I felt like I rose to the occasion for, for the majority of my career. So I live for those moments. I got to put together like a Jerry Blevins postseason reel at some point. It's gotta be good. Stuff. It's very, you're going to get like the fifth inning, like really slamming the door shut. Every inning counts in the postseason. Every <laughs> inning counts. I'm for it. Yeah, I'm absolutely. for it. I think it'd be good. I don't like to toot my own horn very often, but like when that's, I think that's why I love New York so much. When the pressure is on, I elevated my game. I felt like I was at my best in those moments. And I, I really think that's what, what helped me in New York city. Yeah. And there's like a, a lot of guys that either, you know, face up to that pressure and it makes them better or it kind of makes them fold and they're better off playing in, you know, small marketplaces. It, it doesn't really say much about like whether a player is talented or not. It's just about, you know, what kind of crowd they like playing for. So there's there's intangibles and for me like those are the moments that I practiced as a kid all the time when you're you know pretending to face Ken Griffey Jr. it's never like a game in June it's always the seventh game of the World Series and so when those moments go I always felt familiar because I had done it so many times visualizing as a kid as a as an adult all those moments and so you you try to to take advantage because that's where your you know your legends are born yeah, I mean, in your head, Ken Griffey Jr. is like over twenty with like six strikeouts in there. So I mean, you have a pretty good record against him. No, over twenty with twenty strikeouts. But actually, in my head, he's he's probably over about twenty two hundred with twenty two hundred strikeouts because I've probably done it so many times. Figure you but... out, man. He figured out everybody except for Jerry Blevins. He gave me. He got a double off me in, in actual life. 
Oh, really? I didn't even know you faced him. That's crazy. Yeah, I faced him a couple times. Yeah, there's a there's a good story to be had at some point uh, about the first time I faced him, but we'll we'll save that for for off season possibly when we need to talk. That must have been was that like his second tour with the Mariners, and then you were with the A's. That's what I'm assuming. Uh, he was uh, he was with the White Sox before the Mariners, okay. and then gotcha. I faced him a few times in that. But yeah, that that yeah, I got to face him a few times classy human being my favorite player of all time and also like just a, a great person again we can talk about that at length at some point we'll get him on the show it'll be easy obviously he'll be dying <laughs> that's to come right on. all right but uh that is all we got for you guys today uh, on the shea station podcast i want to thank everybody for once again tuning in and following us on our socials it's been blowing up recently and you know the mets get another big sweep they got the five game set with the nats Four more with the Marlins, and then it's Subway Series time, and I'm sure we're going to be doing a lot of fun stuff uh, over with Talking Yanks uh, when that finally rolls around. Uh, but for now, uh, this is Jolly Olive for John Boy Media. I am Jerry Blevins. Uh, I wanted to say thanks for tuning in. We got a great momentum for the Mets, and I wanted to say, you know, my heart's out. Best of luck to everybody dealing with uh, the repercussions of, of the hurricane. Uh, we're thinking about you. Absolutely, we are thinking about you. Uh, so thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll see you guys next time. Call strike three. A career-high 15 strikeouts for Jacob DeGrom. Alonzo to his left, flipped to DeGrom, and the ball game is over.